Jesus, we thank you uh, for this day that we can come and we can set our eyes on you. That we can set our eyes on you as life. Not just in the sense that you are the creator of life, uh, but that you are life itself. That you have offered yourself um, as our means to eternal life and also uh, our source of life in the present. And so as we fix our eyes on you this Christmas season um, and just this week in the life of every single one of us, I pray that you would grow our understanding of what it means for each of us right where we are at to take that next step of you becoming more and more our life today and each and every day. And so we invite your spirit in this time to speak through your word. And I pray that we would all leave looking a little more like you as a result of our time together today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we are continuing our Christmas series, continuing to look beyond uh, the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger to set our eyes, our minds, our hearts on the bigger picture of who was born to us in Bethlehem that day. Two weeks ago, Chris reminded us that this baby was none other than the great I Am, God Almighty. And last week, uh, we saw Christ magnified as the light of the world who, who not only perfectly reveals um, the Father, but also our, our present darkness that separates us from Him. And today we are going to continue uh, to uncover uh, who this Jesus is who came to us 2,000 years ago. And uh, we're actually going to turn uh, back to John 1. Um, so if you were following along with Ray, you know exactly where we're going, or maybe not. I don't know. What, what page was that, Ray? Eight, 886. 886 is where we're going to be. So uh, we're going to read John 1, 1 through 4, and then uh, skip on down to 9 through 13. So verse 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 9 we read, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, Yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here we see uh, our first point, which is Jesus is not only the light of this world, but life. Jesus is life. Um, this term, Jesus is life, we see it on t-shirts, we see it on bumper stickers, we see it freely, but what does it actually mean that Jesus is life? What is he declaring himself to be 
in these verses. What is John saying about Jesus here? Um, this Greek word uh, that is the root for every single verse that we're going to read today that has life in it, um, it's the word zoe, uh, which is a pretty versatile word. Um, it's used to denote um, literal and figurative life. Both life and the, in the present and eternal life. Uh, both physical and spiritual. And so when Jesus says... I am life. When we read here that uh, Jesus is life, it encompasses the full meaning of that word, the full expression of that word. In every way that we could say that Jesus is life, he meant it. And we're going to find that out today. Uh, it is this word, zoe, that Christ uses when referring uh, to himself in John 14.6, where he reveals, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We looked at a couple of these I am statements last week. Uh, this, in, again, in the Greek, last time I talked about the Greek, so if it doesn't interest you, that's fine. But I do want you to catch this. Uh, this verse, John 14.6, it's, it's an ego a me statement. If you ever see that, if you're doing a word study in the Greek, it is a very specific way of tying Jesus when he says, I am, to the great I am of the Old Testament. What we read about in Exodus 3.14, where when Moses asked, hey, I'll go back to Egypt, I'll do this, but if the people start asking, who is it that, that, that's actually sending me to do this? Who should I tell them? What name should I give them? And God says, say, I am sent you. And so if you are a first century Jewish listener or reader and you read this ego a me, it's going to right away strike a chord in your heart and say, oh, he's not just saying I am the life. He is saying I am God. I am the I am and I am life. This is why if, if you've ever started reading through John and, and uh, you see Jesus make an I am statement and all of a sudden they start picking up rocks or yelling blasphemy, uh, it's not random, right? It's, it's directly tied to this ego amy statement. Jesus knows what he is doing when he says this. He's not only revealing the fact that he is God, that he is the self-existent one. That he is the one who is there in the beginning and is now being revealed in the flesh. But what he is trying to tell us is that, hey, what I am about to say about myself is going to reveal something about my character, about my nature, about who I am that you have never seen before. Because you've never seen me before in the way that you are seeing me now. And so we have to pay attention when we see Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, making these I am statements because they are revealing something about the Father that we need to see, that has never been seen in such perfect clarity prior to this moment in history with Christ being here. And again, it's in this way where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am God, and I am Life. Last week we saw how Scripture revealed Jesus as both the source of light and the light itself, right? He was, he was the light that revealed Himself as light. And here we see Jesus as both the source of life and the means to life in the truest sense of the word. In the fullest sense of the word, Jesus 
is life. We're going to see through some other Ego Amy statements what exactly he means by that. What does he mean when he says, I am life? We've already seen one aspect of this uh, revelation of Jesus as life in John 1, 1 through 3. Look with me again where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Here we see that the whole of creation is accredited to Jesus. And in Colossians 1, 15-17, Paul further expands on this reality in saying this of Jesus. Paul writes, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And so here we see that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all life as we know it. Now, if you spend any time around Harbor Shores or any good Bible-believing church, this is nothing new. I'll probably say that a few times today, just like Stephen said it last week. These are not new concepts, but we do have to understand what is really being said about Jesus to, to understand the full revelation of Him as life. And this might not be very new for us here today at Harbor Shores, but this is a pretty big statement that Jesus was making in the first century, Right? Here we have 2,000 years plus of, of Jesus being revealed through the Word. He's already come. We know Him as the author of life, right? We know Him as the one who was there in the beginning, as the, the self-existent, pre-existent, second person of the Trinity. This is well written in all of our thick books of theology. And yet there was a day where Jesus stood before the masses just like this and declared Himself as I am. Can you imagine being there? What if like John Hardacre was to stand up today and make a declaration? We would look and be like, John, I really like you, but in this moment, I don't like you. Like, what, what gives you the right to say this? Like, I know you just sang your heart out at White Christmas and you did a really great job, but like, to come here today and be like, I am, like, chill out, man. There was a day where Jesus showed up onto the scene and said, I am in the flesh the creator and sustainer of life. You are here today because of me. Wait, weren't you born in Bethlehem? (laughs) Weren't weren't you the carpenter's son? Weren't you the one who like they they used to run around here with your diaper falling out? Like, how are you telling me that you were before Abraham? That you are the author of life? That you are the sustainer of all things? You're right here in front of me. How are you sustaining the moon over there? Or the stu- Like, how are you doing that? Pretty big statement, right? And yet Jesus reveals through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, that He very much is the Creator and Sustainer of all things. That it is in His image that we are made, as Genesis 1 declares. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means for us as the people of God that we understand what it means to be 
pro-life, right? Both while the life is in the womb and on the other side. We should be the most pro-life of all life because we understand where all life comes from. That He is the source. And that we have within us, every single one of us, both inside the womb and outside the womb, we are made in the Imago Dei. We are made in the image of the One who creates and sustains all life. And so that should be something that is central to who we are. It's not an, it's not an issue that we vote on that we decide. Guys, this is central to who we are. It is life. And so we stand with life because Jesus is life. We can't separate it or make it a secondary issue. Does that make sense? And so the way that we love, the way that we care, the way that we show compassion, the way that we go towards the hurting, the less fortunate, those who are suffering, this is all rooted in our understanding of what life is and where it comes from. Because each and every one of you do not have value to me based on what you can do for me. Each and every one of you have intrinsic value because whose image you are made in and who created you. And so that's our understanding of life that drives how we live and how we look at the lives who are around us, regardless of how we differ from them. Does that make sense? This very much has real life, real time application for who we are and how we live. We cannot look past this point just because we know, yep, Jesus created everything. That is a spiritual truth. That is a biblical reality rooted in Scripture that functionally should take place in who we are and how we live. How we look at the person in front of us or alongside of us or wherever they are. I don't have many people around me, but you do. So you get the point. Right? He is the creator and sustainer of life. He is the author of life. Jesus is life. And we could camp out here all day and find plenty of application. But this is just one facet. This is one little sparkle of the diamond of what it means that Jesus is life. We find another I am statement in John 11.25 where Jesus reveals the next facet of what it means that he is life. There we read, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Here we read a beautiful truth that we are all holding on to until the day we see him face to face. And that is that Jesus is the giver of eternal life to all who place their faith in Him. This truth is a haymaker in the face of a culture that is spiraling into a functionally atheistic, pluralistic mess. Because what Jesus is claiming here, and what He's already claimed in John 14.6 He doesn't declare himself as one of many possible ways one could choose to follow. He doesn't uh, define himself as a conceivable interpretation of truth should you choose to view him as such. 
nor does he reveal himself as one of the countless means to acquire one of the countless interpretations or possibilities of what awaits us on the other side of death. When it comes to life, when it comes to everlasting, eternal life, Jesus declares, I am God and I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. This truth that we call the gospel, that we are called to not only believe but boldly proclaim, is the same gospel preached by Peter before the hostile religious leaders in the earliest days of the Christian church. We read about this in Acts 4, 10 through 12, where he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And why do we need Jesus to be that way for us? Why do we need Him to save us, church? It's because of our sin. It's because each and every one of us have sin. And when we look through the pages of Scripture, what we see is a holy God who is perfect and cannot dwell in the midst of our imperfection. Paul does a a wonderful job of uh, really summarizing the heart condition of every single person apart from Jesus in Romans chapter 3 by rattling off a number of Old Testament scriptures that speak to the condition of man. Starting in verse 10, he says, As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a pretty bleak picture of man, isn't it? That's a pretty bleak picture of our heart. I get it where we could read this and we could kind of be in a self-justifying mood today and be like, well, that's not me. Like, I don't seek to do any good. Like, there's, there's, there's nothing in me that's like trying to be a good person or, or trying to please God. Like, I don't feel like I'm that bad. If that's you that's here today, I get it. I think that's where the majority of the world resides apart from Christ. In a place where we see ourselves as not that bad and probably good enough to at least get into whatever in is at the end of life. And yet Paul does not leave us with the guesswork. He doesn't leave us in a place where we can sit there and kind of make our own interpretation of our own heart condition and what we truly need. He says it crystal clear in Romans chapter 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you ever want a spiritual wake-up call, read through the first six chapters. of Just read all of Romans. Seriously, it'll do you good. 
But really, I mean, if you want to see from from the perspective, from the vantage point of the one true God, who we are, not from us, right? Because we do a really good job of justifying ourselves. And yet, if you want to see the reality that we cannot be justified before God based on anything that we do, that we cannot be good enough or become enough to be declared not guilty in His holy, perfect presence, read through Romans Because it takes out the guesswork. And it beautifully presents for us our our need for the gospel, our need for the good news, because apart from the good news of Jesus, it's all bad news. The truth is that the best that we can do, what what does Isaiah say? The best that we can give God is what? Filthy rags, right? Apart from the redemptive, restorative work of Jesus in our lives. That is the good news. That's why we don't just talk about the baby on Christmas, right? Like, oh, what a beautiful manger scene. Like, guys, he grew up and he lived perfectly and he died sacrificially and he rose again triumphantly so that each and every one of us could look to him And find our new life, our eternal life in Him because we can't find it in ourselves. He is the resurrection and the life. He is eternity for you and for me. And our culture might not like what feels like exclusivity. But that promise... That sacrifice is for everyone who believes. It is an all-inclusive for everyone who believes. How kind of our God. How kind of Him to become what we could never be on our own. That's exactly what we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. How beautiful. How sweet this promise of the Gospel given to us in Christ, given to anyone who believes it by faith who receives the gracious gift of Jesus, of His perfection, of His perfect sacrificial death, of His resurrection into new life. And all we have to do is what? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to make that confession, to make that declaration, to understand Him for all that He is and all that He's done for you. If you make that confession with your mouth and you believe in your heart that He is Lord, then what? Then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified or declared not guilty... And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. If you are here today, if you're listening online, if this is the 
700,000th time you've heard the gospel. I don't care how many times you've heard the gospel. If you've been here from cradle to the grave, you've heard it many times. Good for you. We are not called to be hearers of the Gospels. We are, we are called to respond to the Gospel in faith. With belief. With a declarative confession of faith. That you are who you say that you are. And you will do what you say you will do. And what is needed for me is finished on the cross. And I place my faith not in what I can do, but in what you have already done for me. Have you done that? Is that something that you have done? And if it's not, I want to invite you today to make Jesus your life. He alone is the resurrection and the life. You can do it right where you sit. You can make that confession of faith right now. You don't have to wait for a slow song and low lights. You can actually do it right now as the Spirit leads you and says, I know you've heard this before, but this is the day. Now is the day of your salvation. You did not believe in me until I opened your eyes right now. Come to me. You can do that right now where you sit. And I want to invite you to do that. Or you can wait for the lights and the music later. That's fine too. But do not let another day go by, friend, without asking Jesus to be for you what only He can be for you. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is the resurrection and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. And if you need help, if you're like, hey, I know I've heard this. I don't really know what it looks like for me, though, to truly make that confession or give my life to Jesus. I've heard there's a card I need to sign or something. I I don't really know. I don't really know what that looks like. We want to help. It's not as scary as you might think. It's not as hard as you might think. But I understand that sometimes it's really hard to make that next step alone. And so after the service, if you don't want to hear from me anymore, I get it. There will be other men up here who can help you take that next step. Or if you have come here today because someone invited you. I know we do that a lot with Christmas. All right, we come to make mom happy or we come to make grandma happy. And if you have someone who you know is walking with Jesus who would love to have that conversation with you about next step, just be bold enough to lean over and say, hey, today's my day. Today's my day. And I know that they would love to have that conversation with you about taking that next step towards Jesus. That being said, we still have a bunch of us who are here today, who have taken that step into eternal life through faith in Jesus. And nothing that I've talked about today has really been anything new for you. You understand that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of of, of all. Maybe I said a few things in a new way that made you go, huh, but you're not walking out of here like, wow, I did not know that. And as far as the gospel, Jesus being the resurrection and the life, there are a number of you who are here today that would say amen to that because it is your confession. It is your belief. 
And so Jesus declaring himself as that Zoe, as that, as that life in, 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 the, in the physical, in the spiritual, in the now, in the forever. What does it mean? Is, is he anything for us? Is it just that he becomes life for us someday when we die? And in the meantime, we're just kind of left doing our life however we feel like we want to do life, trying to do as much as what the Bible says as we can do and just kind of waiting for real life to begin. Is that the abundant life that Christ promised us? Is that the the the, the Christian life that we are called to? Just a, a glorified waiting room? Beloved, I don't think that it is. But we can quickly make life something it was never intended to be when we lose sight of the one who is life, who has redefined life, who has brought life into this world defined by death and darkness and said, I am the way to life, both in this life and the one to come. And so we need to look to Jesus as believers, not just once as our Savior, but Today, every day, as our Lord and as the author, as the definer of what it means to live today. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. I want to take us back to our roots to maybe remind us, again, this is nothing new, but if we are not functioning as this is our daily reality... It's not going to be a a regular rhythm, a regular pursuit in our lives as believers. So we need to understand what we are not only saved from, but what we are saved to, to rightly orient ourselves to what it means for Jesus to be our life today. Does that make sense? So a great verse for us to start out would be 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And as new creations, we enter into a process of becoming in part what we will one day be in full. Which Paul spells out for us in Colossians 3, verse 9 through 10, where he writes, And these you too once walked when you were living in them. Again, that old life, that old nature, that person you used to be. But now, as new creations, he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouths. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Your new self as new creations, which is being renewed renewed after the image of its creator. One more section that I want to look at is in 1 John 3, 1 through 3, where John writes about this new beautiful reality that we've been birthed into. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, 
because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. I understand why this might not excite us. As I read through this process that we are birthed into, as I read through this uh, becoming what we will one day be, there's a part of me that just wants to say, that's it? Like, really? That's what life in Christ is? Life in Christ is just kind of like becoming this incomplete little version of something that's just going to like take place one day when we see it. Like, what's the point then? What's the point then? I believe that that's a lie from the enemy. One, because it's not rooted in Scripture, right? It's not rooted in the reality of what we are called to. So if that's our filter with which we are looking at the life that we are called to, we have to readjust our filter based on what the truth of God's Word actually says. So we need to start there. But I understand, I understand as a 35-year-old American male why this might not appeal to you. Like, this process of transfer, like, really? We were invited into being made in part into that which we will one day be made into perfectly when we see Christ? What is that? It is the beautiful, blessed life that you have been called to. And it's amazing when you consider the alternative. Because, friend, I would ask you, what is life if it's not on these terms? What is your life based on your definition? I took some time uh, two weeks ago and I read through um, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. If you've never read it, um, it's a really interesting uh, read. Don't send me an email. I get it. It's not perfect theology, but it is a beautiful portrait. It is a beautiful picture of life when we try and make it on our terms. And Lewis calls that kind of life the, the shadow life, right? They're these shadow people who are of no substance, either because they're trying to find life in their knowledge or their accomplishments or their riches or, or, or man, even trying, finding definition in their life based on their, their burdens and their sins and, 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 and their brokenness from this life, trying to find something to say, yeah, that's who I am. That's what I live for. And these shadowy figures find their way up into the the land of the solid, the land of the kingdom, the land that has been defined by the king. And they find themselves in a place where it hurts to walk on their grass because the grass is so real and so of substance that it won't bend underneath the, the shadowy feet that they're walking on. And they're afraid that it will rain in this place lest the rain pelt them like a machine gun and go right through them because this place is of sub, sub, such substance. They can't even lift a leaf off of the ground to bring it back to their shadow land and sell as some great thing because 
everything there, great and small, even the least of what is there in this great place is greater than the greatest greatness that they can find in the land of the shadows. The work that you have been invited into, this transformative work, Taking you from a person of darkness into a person of light. Taking you from a shadow figure into a person of substance. You have been invited into eternity today. You are not waiting for eternity. You are becoming in part the man, the woman, the child that you will be forever today. And what becomes of you in part today will be perfected on that day when you see the one who bled for you face to face. He will make you perfect. And so as we think about what we could possibly live our lives for, like what, you're, really? Your 401k? Serious? Your kids' accomplishments? That girl who's looking into your eyes so dreamily? Or that boy? There are so many things in life, and it doesn't even have to be the bad things. Right? It doesn't even... Satan does not have to get us contorting what life is on some kind of grotesque addiction. He doesn't need you in bondage to a bottle or a pill or a syringe to change your understanding of where life is found. It could be a cup of coffee. It could be a clean house. It could be an attaboy from the boss. It could be salt life. It could be mountain life. It could be, oh, just, oh, I gotta get to the point where I get that third week of vacation, that fourth week of vacation. Ray, where are you? You're at, you get like, like 42 weeks of vacation. Right? Is it, can I ask you about, is it enough? Is it enough? It's not, right? It, it will never be enough. And that is the bait and switch. That is the offer, it's the sleight of hand from the enemy All day, every day. Just got to get to that cup of coffee. Just got to get to that glass of wine. Just got to get to Sunday night football. Just got to get to that computer screen so that I can look at her or buy this or do, right? Every day we are presented death. And offered it as life. And it doesn't necessarily have to be overtly evil. It could be things that are meant to be blessings. Meant to be good things. But they are not made to give life. Now they can be used by the author of life to bless you, to get you to look up and say, thank you for the cup of coffee I got with my wife this morning. And that beautiful time that we shared. But the moment I say that is life, that is where I am looking to find life, it turns to ash, doesn't it? Because she can't be for me what only he can be for me. 
Thank you, God, for this 10 days on Hilton Head. Oh, man. <laughs> Our vacation this year. Like, tell me that was not, like, perfectly orchestrated for this sermon, right? Because I was in a place at, coming off of a missions trip, and I was just like, can you just get me to the beach where everything is going to be okay? And we are going to buy the low chairs where the waves hit you. And, and I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy two packs of those little organic Reese's peanut butter cups that they have at, at Aldi. And, and you know what? I'm going to put those. And every day I'm just going to be popping those on the beach because I got a dad bod and I don't care, you know. And man, if you would have seen the the vacation home that I booked, oh my goodness, guys, the pictures, they were popping. Ray, those pictures, they were popping. Everything about this was great. It was great. And I looked to it for life. And it was comically so that it just turned to ash, not because my cruel, but because my God, my Savior, is interested not in my enjoyment, but in my refinement, in my transformation. And he gently reminded me as, as the condo that we got in smelt like mold and the Reese's cups that I bought melted in the car on the way down and became a Reese's glob and like all of these things are just like what is happening oh 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 it can't give life It can be used by the author of life to get me to look up or it can be used by the author of life as one of those many trials that we should consider a joy, right, Jeremy? Because they lead to our refinement. He can use the circumstances of our life to bring us greater life, but he does not allow us to settle, to be satisfied with the stuff of this life and define it as such. He is in constant pursuit of your transformation. The problem is that we're not. And so we think a job with a 20K pay bump is going to be life. And sometimes we get it. And is it ever that? No. Sometimes we're foolish enough to think, oh man, more ministry will be life. I'll just go out and I'll do greater things for God. And that way, how's that working out for you if you did that? Right? And so, what is it that we are called to? I'm really glad that you asked. And another I am statement in John 15. Yes, I'm reading John 15 again. I don't care if I'm a one-trick pony. Okay? This is a verse that is life for us. And if you fire me after today, that's fine. At least I can go down saying that for the last three times, I was up four times out, that I took our eyes to this because I need this verse every single day of my life. And when I lose sight of this reality, I lose sight of life. And so let's again turn to John 15. Starting in verse 1, Jesus says, In I am fashion, I am God, and I am the true vine. And in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Here we see that Jesus is the sole provider of all that pertains to true life. He is the source of life. He is the means to eternal life. He is our producer of eternal fruit in this life. He is our bread of life. He is our living water, both nourishing and satisfying us in this life. As we live, we are called to live life with Him, for Him, through Him, empowered by Him, with our eyes on Him. Beloved, Jesus is life. He is the one that makes life worth living because it's not worth living if we're only living for what we can see. If we're only living for the here and now and banking on eternity, he says, no, 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 no. I brought eternity to you today. You want to be about an amazing work? Be about the work of your transformation by abiding in me, by looking to me. I want to make you more into the man that you are going to be forever. I want to make you more into the woman who will relate to me today in part in the way that she will relate to me forever. I want to grow that which is truly of substance, of value, of infinite worth. I want to do that in you today. Wow. That should wow us. We have been ushered into an eternal work of infinite value and substance. And He is the source of life that makes that kind of life possible in the here and now. And He meets us in the midst of everything else that we are seeking to look life, look for life in and define life by. And in his gentle kindness and love, he says, my beloved child, that is, that is only a shadow that is made to point you to me. Do not look for life in the stuff of this life that cannot promise it. Come to me. You like coffee? That's great. You're not going to find life in it. But you can enjoy it in relationship with me, with your eyes on me. Your family, your job, all of these different things. He says they all find their foundation, their definition in relationship with me. The real question for us today is what kind of question are we asking when we wake up in the morning? Now I know this is a very, maybe this isn't your exact question, but work with me here. Do we wake up asking some form of the question, how am I going to find life today? Do you guys ever wake up in that place? Or am I the only horrible need of major refinement sinner in this room? Where you wake up and it's like the moment your eyelids open, it's like on, it's like on search mode, like searching for a wireless signal, you know, but your heart is searching for life in some way, shape or form. You wake up and you're just like, oh man, what do we have in the, what do we have for breakfast today? Oh gosh. 
like the corner of the bag of cereal. No, not that. Okay, oh, I got to go to work today. It's Monday. It's certainly not there. What are we having for dinner? Uh, uh, vegetable stir fry. Oh, I wanted something saucy. And but wait, we got that half a chocolate cream pie in there that's left. Yeah. Wait, Monday night football. The Packers are playing the Giants. Oh, okay, okay. All right, Monday. Here we go. It's going to be a good day. And the Packers lose by 40 and the kids ate the pie after lunch and you want to flip the whole world over. What happened? This is an abundant life. Maybe a little dramatic, but maybe not. Truthfully, right? Maybe not. When we wake up in the morning, are we asking the question, where am I going to find life today? What is going to get me out of bed? What is going to keep me going? What is going to be my source of life today? The thing that I look forward to, the thing that I crave, the thing that just keeps me going when I feel like this. Is that the question that we ask or do we ask the question that we should ask in light of the life that we have been brought into as believers, if you are a believer And that is some sort of, Jesus, what sort of work are you doing in my life today? And how can I be a part of it? How can I join you? Because whether the coffee is too strong or just right, whether the pie is eaten or is there for you to eat in full, whether the Packers win or lose, whether the person who you prayed for died or lives, Regardless of what you go through, what you go through with that question is done in its proper context of looking to Jesus as the only one who can give life, the only one to define life, the only one to make life worth living, because regardless of how this world comes at us in this day, he's doing something, isn't he? He's doing a transforming work of taking your new nature and growing it up into the you that you will be forever. In part, guaranteed by the promise of Philippians 1.6 that the one who began it in you will carry it to completion. So run after Him and cast off every weight and sin that gets in the way with your eyes on Jesus who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. This is the life that we are called to live. The life that we are called to find life in. That being said, I understand that if you have not started that relationship with Jesus, this doesn't make sense. And frankly, for those of us who have begun that relationship with Jesus, sometimes we live as though this doesn't make sense. And so there's probably a step forward for each of us today into a more fuller picture, a more fuller expression of the life that we have been given in Christ Jesus. If you are here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, again, I invite you, make that first step into real life today by trusting in Him by faith as your Lord and Savior. Begin that journey of eternity today by placing your faith in the one who loved you enough to die for you. And for those of us who are here today, you may be asking, okay, well, what, what does that mean then? Okay, Jesus is life. You want us to go to him for the source. What, like, give me some application steps. What does that mean for me? Fair question. Fair critique. But we're all at different parts of development, 
aren't we? The fact is that if I could go back in time, Marty, and I could go back to 19, that was for you, Austin, I could go back to like, like 1999 and talk to Matt Voinkel after he gave his life to the Lord at Awana in the third grade, and, and I could go back and be like, all right, man, hey, I got some good steps for you. This is, this is what you got to do, okay? And I was to put on him what is my life with Christ today, I would crush that, crush that young man who needs a five to ten minute Devo in the morning. Who needs to just like start or read the Bible in the year plan and kind of stay faithful with it. Right? So for me to sit up here and give you a prescription without knowing who you are or where you're at, it could do more harm than good. Because we are all at different stages of development. So what I would say to the believer who's here today and say, okay, next steps, I would say a few things. One, get alone with your Savior. Get alone with the one who opened your eyes to relationship with Him and ask Him, Jesus, what is the next step in relationship with you? I want to find life in you. I confess you are my eternal life and I want you to be my daily life. What does that look like? I would say that is the absolute first step. We have been given the Holy Spirit to teach us all things concerning truth and righteousness. Do we go to Him for that? If we don't, what are we doing? The next thing that I would say is, get with a brother and sister, or brother or sister here that knows you. One that you know is running after Jesus. And ask them about their walk. Ask them about their walk. Ask them about their journey. Ask them about the things that they found helpful. Because the truth is that what worked for me when I was 10 doesn't work for me now when I'm 35. And if you find yourself in a relational rut with Jesus where you're just like, I don't, I don't really know. It's not really working for me. Then probably what you need to do is get some people into your life who are a little further down the road and say, brother, sister, dear saint, would you just speak into where I am? This is the journey that I'm on. This is where I've been. This is where I am right now. What, what do you think? What do you think? And allow the church to be the church, to encourage you all the more as the day is drawing near, right? That's what we're supposed to be for each other. But we can't do that if we got it all together. We can't do that if we got it all figured out. 35, don't have it all figured out. Need Chris, need Stephen, need all of you. Okay, so if they let me preach, then it's okay for you who aren't to be in that place too. Right? Cool. So we need each other to speak into that process of what it looks like for us to pursue life. And the only other thing that I would say... Um, is that the things that are true are always true. Like being in the Word and in prayer. But depending on the season of life that we find ourselves in, those may take different shapes and forms. Like, I, man, I mean, in my 20s, it was all about journaling and journaling through prayers and just pouring my heart out on pages. Today, it looks like prayer walks. Like, I, I'm wearing a groove in the outside path. I'm probably looking like a crazy person in my neighborhood walking around like, the, oh, there's the guy that mumbles. No, I'm just praying. Don't judge. I'm just praying. Okay? But again, if I was to say that to 10-year-old Matt, 10-year-old Matt would look at me like, I'm going to be weird one day. <laughs> like, I don't want to be that at all. 
I'm going to stop going to Awana. And so wherever you are today, that's where you are. Be there, but be there with Jesus. And whatever you need as far as Scripture intake and communication with Him and prayer, be there and ask Him for what that next step looks like. Resource table out there, if you haven't stopped by it, go stop by it. There's some great stuff on there to to fuel your pursuit of making Jesus the whole of your life. If you have any other questions or concerns, Chris is right there. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Let me go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for being the author of life. You made us, you made a way for us, and you brought life to us. And not just life that we're waiting for someday, but life that meets us where we are today. We thank you for being that kind of Savior. May we always be a people who seeks to find life in you. Lord, and may we not be content trying to find death in life, or trying to find life in death. Show us the ways that we do that. Lord, reveal it to us by the power of your Holy Spirit and transform us to see those things through the lens of you. We love you. We need you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.